Welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Our program today focuses on pulmonary exacerbations and the microbiology of the CF lung, following up on our recent newsletter issue authored by today's guest, Dr. John J. LaPuma, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from GECUSA Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Gilead Sciences. Learning objectives for this program are that after participating in this activity, the participant will demonstrate the ability to describe how the complexity of the cystic fibrosis airway microbiome impacts the management of pulmonary exacerbations, summarize the limitations of in vitro antimicrobial susceptibility testing in guiding antibiotic therapy of CF exacerbations, and explain the role that bacterial species not routinely reported in cultures of CF respiratory specimens may play in contributing to pulmonary exacerbation and lung disease progression. Dr. LaPuma reports that he has served as a consultant for Raptor Pharma, Aerodyme Corporation, and Curex Pharma. His discussion today will not reference the off-label or unapproved uses of any drugs or products, with the exception of brief mentions of early trial antibiotic combinations. Dr. LaPuma, welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. In your newsletter issue, Doctor, you reviewed the recent research describing how diverse and how complex the airway environment is in patients with cystic fibrosis, how different that environment is from non-CF patients, and how challenging all this makes it to identify and treat the infectious organisms. What I'd like to do now is discuss how that information can translate into clinical practice, particularly in the management of pulmonary exacerbations in people with cystic fibrosis. Uh, so if you would, please, Dr. LaPuma, start us out with a patient scenario. Sure. TD is an 18-year-old young man with CF. He is F. fibroid del homozygous and pancreatic insufficient. He has moderate lung disease with an FEV1 typically around 65 to 70% predicted. In the past, his respiratory cultures have been positive for multidrug-resistant Pseudomonas aeruginosa, Stenotrophomonas maltophilia, Staphylococcus aureus, Mycobacteria abscessus, and Aspergillus. Two years ago, he received a prolonged course of multiple antibiotics targeting the mycobacteria. He's been in relatively good health for the past six months, receiving inhaled tobramycin BID on alternating months and azithromycin three days per week. Two weeks ago, he began to have increased cough, fatigue, and dyspnea. His sputum production has increased only mildly, but he reports a couple of low-grade fevers during this time. Oral ciprofloxacin and trimethoprim sulfa were prescribed five days ago, but his symptoms are unchanged. In clinic, his FEV1 is now found to be 50% predicted, and a chest X-ray is unchanged from images obtained on two occasions during the past year. Expectorated sputum is sent for culture. So just to make sure we have a clear starting point, doctor, can we assume that this patient is experiencing a pulmonary exacerbation? Yes, I think that by almost any definition, you would say that he is having signs and symptoms of an exacerbation. Talk to us about what information you'd want to have to determine the most effective treatment for this patient. Well, we would want to understand he's been adherent to the chronic antimicrobial therapy with inhaled tobramycin and oral azithromycin, as well as with his other routine CF care strategies, including airway clearance, dornase, hypertonic saline, etc. We'd also want to know if other family members are ill at this time, particularly with signs and symptoms of an upper respiratory infection. 
we may want to consider a viral respiratory testing in this individual. We'd also want to know what his most recent sputum culture results showed, and we'd want to know what antibiotics he was treated with when he last had an exacerbation and how he responded at that time. Let's say you do test for respiratory viruses, uh, and that test comes back positive. How would that alter your management? Well, his symptoms could be consistent with viral respiratory infection. In fact, in many ways, it sounds like they are. So if a viral respiratory test is positive, this may make it less likely that antimicrobial antibacterial therapy is going to have an impact on his course. Uh, However, it's important to note that we really don't know how viral infection may impact bacteria that are likely also inhabiting his airways. And therefore, regardless of whether the test for the virus is positive or not, antibiotic therapy would still be warranted. So the presence of virus might impact our prognostication about how he'll do with antimicrobial therapy, but the presence of virus doesn't mean that that would preclude antibiotic therapy. So you said you wanted to know about his most recent sputum culture while you're waiting for the lab to report back on his current culture. How would knowing those results help? Well, this would provide a starting point for considering antibiotic therapy. We'd want to know if something new, in other words, a new bacterial species that is recovered in the last sample. We'd want to know if mycobacteria or MRSA are present. We'd also, though, want to emphasize that there's increasing evidence that CF airway infection typically involves a much more diverse group of bacteria than those we've conventionally associated with CF. And it's important to understand that not all of these bacterial species may be recovered in culture and or reported as being recovered in culture by the clinical micro laboratory. So there are certain oral flora, as the lab may refer to these, that would not be reported in culture, things like certain streptococci and certain anaerobes. So although previous culture results give us a starting point, they can't really reliably tell us what species may or may not be involved in causing this exacerbation. As something else you said you wanted to know, how he was treated during his prior exacerbation and how he responded. Now, how would that help you in managing this exacerbation? Well, again, this is a starting point. If he had a good response to the previous therapy, we would consider starting with a similar treatment course. We're learning from studies of CF airway microbiome that the community of bacteria inhabiting the lungs of people with CF are generally quite stable over time. In other words, there's not a great deal of fluctuation such that completely different species replace others to result in a completely new community that may require treatment that's quite different from one exacerbation to the next. So because these communities are rather stable, we would think that we might want to target those communities using the same sort of antibiotics that we used previously. So let's say that lab report of the sputum culture you took comes back and Pseudomonas is not grown in that culture. Would you now stop targeting Pseudomonas? No, we really can't rely on culture to definitively rule out that Pseudomonas is not present. Eradication of Pseudomonas after years of chronic infection is really very unlikely. So even though this may not show up in culture now, it's unlikely that Pseudomonas is completely gone. Let's say that that lab report that's just come back, let's say it reports that more than one bacterial species has grown in culture. Knowing which species is present in the greatest density, would that help in guiding therapy? Well, intuitively, this seems to make some sense, but in fact, there's really not good evidence that this is the case. For one thing, quantitative culture is quite unreliable. It depends on which species may be favored by the culture conditions that are being used. 
And another thing to keep in mind is that it's also possible that species that may be present at a relatively lower density could have a disproportionate impact on contributing to exacerbation. So looking at relative densities of different species is not particularly worthwhile. Let's go back again and say that Pseudomonas is recovered in this sputum culture. What about antibiotic susceptibility testing? How important would those results be in managing this patient's exacerbation? Well, this is a difficult question in some ways. We've always relied on antibiotic susceptibility testing to guide therapy. However, data over the past decade has shown a fairly poor correlation between choosing antibiotics based on in vitro susceptibility testing and clinical outcomes of exacerbation. And we now are learning that there are many possible reasons for this disconnect between antibiotic susceptibility testing and outcomes. For one thing, we've already mentioned that there seem to be many more species involved in CF lung disease than we had previously appreciated. And we also, as we said previously, know that many of these species may not be recovered in culture or reported by the clinical microbiology laboratory. We also know that susceptibility in the laboratory may differ from what actually goes on in lung because within lung, susceptibility may be affected by other species that are in close proximity within the lung. And we also know that the growth rate of bacteria in lung may impact their susceptibility to antibiotics. So the way bacteria grow in lung may be quite different from the way they grow in the laboratory for susceptibility testing. And finally, we now know that there could be mixed populations, particularly of a bacteria like Pseudomonas, that differ with respect to susceptibility. So in other words, the same strain of Pseudomonas coming from one part of the lung may have a very different susceptibility profile than Pseudomonas coming from another part of the lung. So there are many reasons now why we are starting to understand why there is a poor correlation between susceptibility testing and clinical outcomes. So therapy of exacerbation is guided by culture results and susceptibility testing, but ultimately it's very empiric. Thank you for that discussion, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. John J. LaPuma from the University of Michigan in just a moment. Hello, I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is a combination newsletter and podcast program delivered via email to subscribers. Newsletters are published every other month. Each issue reviews the current literature in areas of importance to pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, infectious disease specialists, pediatricians, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, nurses, and physical therapists. Bi-monthly podcasts are also available as downloadable transcripts, providing case-based scenarios to help bring that new clinical information into practice in the clinic. Subscription to E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is provided without charge or prerequisite. Continuing education credit for each issue and each podcast is provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information on this educational activity, to subscribe to and receive E-Cystic Fibrosis Review without charge, and to access back issues, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of the program. We've been talking with Dr. John J. LaPuma from the University of Michigan about how a more complete understanding of the microbiology of the CF lung can aid in improving the treatment of pulmonary exacerbations. So let's continue, if you would please, doctor, with another patient scenario. A 12-year-old girl with CF comes to clinic reporting increased cough, decreased appetite, and energy during the past 10 days. In the past, 
throat swab cultures had been intermittently positive for Staph aureus and Haemophilus. She was treated with an eradication-type protocol when her throat swab was first found to be positive for Pseudomonas at age 6. This was repeated when an induced sputum culture was again positive for Pseudomonas at age 8. She was found to be Pseudomonas positive again at age 10. She began to expectorate sputum at age 11, and four consecutive sputum cultures, including one two months ago, have been positive for Pseudomonas. Her FEV1 in clinic is 90%. Typically, this has been around 100%. Her mother reports that she has been compliant with routine therapies at home, including airway clearance, Dornase, hypertonic saline, inhaled tobramycin, and azithromycin. So again, here we have a patient with a pulmonary exacerbation. Tell us about your next steps in management. Well, the next steps would be that we would initiate a more aggressive antimicrobial therapy course, and we would choose agents that we would expect to be active against Pseudomonas, but also considering that other bacterial species may be contributing to the increase in symptoms. We would repeat the sputum culture now as well. I think a question a lot of clinicians might have right now is, why not hold off on starting any therapy until the susceptibility testing of the Pseudomonas is available? Well, susceptibility testing can be used as a starting point to guide therapy. But as we saw in the last case we presented, there are many possible reasons why choosing antibiotics based solely on susceptibility testing has not been shown to predict outcomes. So you send the lab a sputum sample, and the results come back that two different strains of pseudomonas have been recovered in culture. What does that mean, and how does that affect your management? This comes up fairly frequently. The lab will report that there are two strains of this or that species, in this case, pseudomonas. But in reality, this most likely represents the same strain, but different morphotypes of the same strain. And these different morphotypes, we believe, reflect adaptation, or some people say evolution, of pseudomonas during chronic infection. So this doesn't mean that a new strain is now causing infection or that different therapy is indicated. So these different morphotypes may have different susceptibility profiles in vitro, but the important thing to recognize is that this is not a new strain that may be infecting that would be cause for really altering the therapy that's been used in the past. Well, let's look at that report from the microlab again. And let's say it found that in addition to the pseudomonas, there was also a strep species that was also recovered in the culture. How would that change your management? Well, strep species are common inhabitants of the upper airway. We have recent evidence that they can be present in lower airway as well. And there's some evidence even that certain strep species, for example, strep milleri, can contribute to lung disease and CF. In fact, in one report, treatment specifically targeting strep milleri was associated with a good clinical outcome. So we shouldn't necessarily ignore that species such as this may contribute to exacerbation symptoms. What about other pathogens that may not have been recovered in the routine culture? Would you expect that those could also be contributing to this patient's exacerbation? Yes, in fact, there's growing evidence that anaerobic species, also common in the oropharynx, can be found in appreciable quantities in lower airways and may contribute to disease as well. Excuse me, doctor, but that seems kind of counterintuitive. The lung is such an oxygen-rich environment. How can anaerobic species survive? Recent studies have shown that CF sputum is actually largely anoxic. Further, severely damaged parts of lung may be relatively deprived of oxygen. So it's becoming increasingly clear that diseased lung and mucus provide a niche that favors anaerobes. And further, we should remember that all of the typical CF pathogens, including Pseudomonas, Staph, Burkholderia, Stenotrophomonas, or Acromobacter, all of these are capable of growth in very low oxygen. 
it's important to recognize that as we continue to learn more and more about the CF microbiology and considering things like anaerobes, for example, that treatment of exacerbation still is, by and large, empiric. Dr. Lapuma, I want to thank you for today's cases and discussion. Let me ask you to take a moment now to look to the future for us. What advances do you see happening in improving the management of CF infections? We're learning a great deal about the microbiology and ecology of airway infection in CF. It's hoped that this new knowledge will translate into new strategies for preventing or treating infections in CF, including CF exacerbations. At the same time, we'll be assessing the role, if any, of newer antibiotic agents, including combination drugs such as ceftalazine, tazobactam, and ceftazidime, avibactam, in the treatment of CF lung infection. And of course, we shouldn't forget that a number of the other new strategies that are coming out, for example, with CFTR modulators, will have impacts on infection in CF that we really can't anticipate at this time. In general, I think it's fair to say that the future is fairly bright. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, Doctor. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing what we've talked about today in light of our learning objectives. Uh, so to begin, how the complexity of the CF airway microbiome impacts the management of exacerbations. Up until fairly recently, we considered that there were only a small handful of bacterial species that contributed to lung infection and therefore exacerbations in CF. We're now learning that the microbiology and the ecology of infection in CF is much more complicated than we previously appreciated. And I think what this means is that we have to take a fresh look at strategies to treat exacerbation. And we're learning an awful lot about microbiology in CF, and I think that this has potential to change our approach to exacerbation. And our second objective, the limitations of in vitro antimicrobial susceptibility testing in guiding antibiotic therapy for CF exacerbations. The more we learn about CF microbiology and the way bacteria may be living within the CF airways, the more we can understand why in vitro susceptibility testing and choosing antibiotics on that basis has not always correlated very well with clinical outcomes. So the hope is that as we learn more, we can start to modify our approaches to therapy of exacerbation. But until that time, therapy remains largely empiric. And finally, the role that bacterial species that are not routinely reported in cultures of CF respiratory specimens can play in contributing to pulmonary exacerbation and lung disease progression. What we're learning is that there may be species present in the CF airways that have not been routinely looked for in the clinical laboratory, or if found in culture, have been ignored as upper airway contamination that may have a role in causing disease in CF. It may be that certain of these species interact with some of the more traditional CF pathogens to cause them to behave differently in lung. And it may be some of these species that haven't been reported by themselves can act as pathogens. For example, by having certain components that are pro-inflammatory and therefore contributing to inflammation within the lung. Dr. John J. LaPuma from the University of Michigan, thank you for participating in this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure doing this. I really welcome the opportunity to participate in this program. I hope that listeners find it educational and worthwhile. Thank you very much. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org forward slash test.
This podcast is presented in conjunction with the E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. This activity has been developed for the CF care team, including pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive eCystic Fibrosis Review via email, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and KEC USA Incorporated. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing.